1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian
2: Kilmeade Show. It's uh, my privilege to bring in Lieutenant Colonel Allen West at the bottom of the hour, but we'll also have you, 1-866-408-7669. Big hour. We just talked to the president on Fox & Friends for about 45 minutes. He made a lot of news, and I'll share it with you. We also are following what's going on with the campaigns because now it looks like Joe Biden must have got some bad polls. He has left Delaware. He stopped with his virtual events. He stopped going in front of Chevy vehicles, five cars, and screwing up the prompter. I couldn't say he stopped screwing up the prompter because he did struggle a little bit yesterday. He's going to Florida. Which goes to show you that the numbers are real and goes to show you, too, that a big shocker has hit the Biden campaign. The president's making inroads with, with Latinos. Now, when you built the wall and you talk about crossing the border, the conventional wisdom has always been that means it's bad for Hispanics. And look, they did the autopsy with the Republican Party, remember? And they said the problem, the reason why Romney lost and the reason why Republicans' future looks dim is because Hispanics are the fastest growing minority and we've done nothing to win them over. And if you talk about the border and you talk about building a wall, it sends the wrong message. No one gave the message to the president. And he says it, and now he's making inroads because he is not anti-Hispanic. He just wants people to come here legally. When you ask for people to show ID, it doesn't mean you don't want them to vote. You just mean he wants the election to be legitimate. Let's get to the big
1: three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
3: Big Three.
1: Number three.
3: I want to briefly address you know, our team statement during the national anthem and just say that we will continue to bring attention to systemic racism and the injustice that our black communities are enduring and we will continue to demonstrate our convictions to support and uplift our black communities.
2: And you have the right to do that in the NFL and the NBA and the MLS and the NHL, NHL and fans have every right to turn away Black white, Latino, Uh, men, women, and that's what they're doing. Pro sports ratings paying a price for bringing race and politics to the field and in the locker room. And even the NFL suffers a double-digit drop in ratings. How can athletes be socially responsible yet make the game about the game?
4: Number two. The American police officer is, is under attack like it's never been under attack before. And law enforcement is the only profession where people want to kill you strictly because you're a police officer.
2: Can't argue with that, and it is ugly and it's unacceptable. That's Jamie McBride on The Ingram Angle last night. Americans' disrespect for law and order is reaching an all-time high, and law enforcement specifically, or should I say an all-time low, as two-thirds of the nation list as major concern the lack of law and order and security, a major concern in America. Now two uh, Los Angeles Sheriff Department officers struggle for their lives after an ambush over the weekend. How do we make this horror a turning point?
5: Number one.
6: I want to thank you and acknowledge the work that you've done to be immediate in terms of your response. This may be a record that the states received in the FMAG support, uh, as well as the major disaster declaration, which you reference. Here we go.
2: 49 days to go. 2020 election. Real life events have both Biden and Trump in action as the West Coast rages with fires and anarchy. How this all plays into the issue of climate change and the mutual respect between Gavin Newsom and President Trump shows we can all get along while disagreeing. We we used to do that. You know, there used to be somebody who says, you know, I'm for raising taxes on the rich and I'm for lowering corporate taxes and I'm for a strong defense and I'm for health care for all. And those used to be disagreements. I'm not saying you used to hang out and that whole Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan thing is probably overblown. But now it is such blood and guts and legitimately blood and guts, and people don't even talk to each other to disagree. That's why it was so stunning to see liberal governor with presidential aspirations for sure, Gavin Newsom, who has really been beat up because of things in and out of his control. Number one, the pandemic not in his control. He thought he beat it, and it came back uh, big time. And then with the fires, got through the season— And it's ravaging Northern California through Oregon and Washington State. And what's he doing? Not denying that forest management plays a role, but says climate change also plays a role. Well, the president says we're doing the best we can, but we're not going to destroy our economy to do it. And guess what? They showed respect to each other. And that's how easy it is if you can show respect to the top. You don't have Robert De Niro cursing you out at the Academy Awards. You're going to have Michael Moore putting out documentaries diminishing the intellect of a president. And the president may be dialing it down a notch. It'll definitely ripple through the picnic table at home and family gatherings and reunions. I thoroughly believe that. Meanwhile, the president of the United States was able to join us earlier today. And um, he was about about a half hour ago when you're listening to this. I'm not sure what hour you're taking. But this morning on Fox and Friends, maybe he's going to be joining us every week. And he let it be known. I mean, the guy's got a bounce in his step. But he can't wait. He wants to engage in the debates. He wants to engage in the debate on issues. He wants to solve problems. And I think he was really heartened by the fact that he had a big gathering, although controversial, because he was indoors in Vegas. And he had, excuse me, in Nevada, in Henderson. And then he goes out to Arizona, where he feels those things are tending in the right direction. He goes out to California with very few supporters, about a million, that's it, uh, Republicans there. And, you know, we went back and forth a little bit, but for the most part... Say, listen, I want here to help. Here's the check. And people are happy about that. Here's the president of the United States in Arizona yesterday. And he was talking about uh, Hispanic Americans and the inroads he's made there simply on his policies. Cut one.
7: I've achieved more for Hispanic Americans in 47 months than Joe Biden has achieved in 47 years. (laughs) They don't call him Sleepy Joe for nothing. Okay, but a vote for Republicans this November is a vote for the American dream.
2: And Joe Biden did miss an opportunity to go after the president. Really brutal. People keep talking about what a nice guy
3: Joe Biden is. I haven't seen this yet. Cut five. If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America ablaze? If you give a climate denier four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised when more of America is underwater? We need a president who respects science who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. And what the president said to me,
2: and we're going to be pulling the sound bites, but this just happened, Eric's only one guy, Allison's over here, and Pete's working from home. Uh, What the president said is, listen, I'm always working for clean water, clean air. And in 2009, he signed on to a document that said, essentially, it's time for urgent action when it comes to climate change, global warming at the time we were calling it that until the winters got cold and they realized global warming didn't work. So climate change, but he says I'm not into signing a global agreement where Russia and China cheat or not held to the same standards. We'll do it on our own and not pretend that the Paris Accord was going to do anything. Well intentioned perhaps, but don't tie us to the rest of the world when we're doing a better job than almost the entire rest of the world with more at stake. And we're not into this whole thing destroying our economy, uh, for the planet. You can do both. So with the, he's coming out and saying he's an arsonist. That's extreme. That gets headlines. Everybody's playing it, but not necessarily accurately. And in terms of forest management, if he wants to talk about that, guess who talked about that? Gavin Newsom
6: said there's something to that. And he also said thanks. Cut nine. I want to thank you and acknowledge the work that you've done to be immediate in terms of your response. This may be a record that the states received in the FMAG support. Uh, as well as the major disaster declaration, which you referenced on August 22nd, which was profoundly significant, not only to help us support our mutual aid system, but also individuals that are in desperate need of support. I
2: thought that was pretty cool. Uh, They were just going back and forth and saying thanks for the money. Thanks for acting so quick. Thanks for coming out. And I appreciate it. Instead of people saying which are the same in other channels, you just go overboard and saying why did it take the president three weeks? Well, have you noticed what's going on in the rest of the world? There's a pandemic and legitimate urgencies happening around the world. Plus, he's doing what President Obama did, what President Bush did, what President Clinton did, running for re-election, telling his story. If you ever, if you've noticed, there's a lot of cities on fire. There's a lot of States that have been locked down like Pennsylvania, and even a judge said it's way too much and it's pure politics, it seems. So he's out there and people say, well, you're not out there quick enough. He has a big rally. Joe Biden doesn't. And they say, well, it's indoors. And then you have Carl Bernstein come out and say the president's a homicidal president. Yes, he's trying to kill people. And basically the president basically called him a dope. Not surprising. So... The problem the president will have, and we've been over this, is going against Joe Biden, who keeps talking about being a moderate, at the same time saying eventually get rid of all fossil fuels, but I'm not getting rid of fracking. I'm not talking about uh, defunding the police, but I'm talking about police reform. But everybody around him is talking about defunding the police. And everybody on the left is convinced they're going to push Joe Biden to the left. Listen to Congressman Elon Omar on another channel yesterday. So, why is it that Bernie Sanders is all over the uh Vice President Biden? Why is it that Omar and a o c are quiet Here's why cut twelve
0: I represent one of the most progressive districts in uh Congress, and for us, representation really is in is one that is responsive to you know the needs of the people and what most of the progressives that I represent feel like. This is our time to make sure we get rid of Trump and we elect someone who's going to be responsive to the policy positions we are advocating for. Biden's economic package uh, is one that gets us a step closer to addressing the economic and social neglects um, that have went unaddressed for so long.
2: Well, we'll see. If that happens, uh, that would get a lot of moderates into the president's column. And the reason why she's quiet is because she's pretty much convinced he will do it. And I am, too. Kamala Harris is going to be making a lot of those decisions. Joe Biden is not strong. You could be the biggest Biden supporter. You can't say he's the same guy. I was talking to somebody that's known him for about 40 years and said clearly he is not the same guy and doesn't have anything against him. In fact, um, he's not going to vote for him, but he actually likes him a lot. 1-866-408-7669. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. John Roberts joins us from the White House shortly. Then uh, Colonel Allen West, and then we take your calls. And then I'm going to go over a little bit of sports too. And why is it that now a double figure, double digit drop in ratings? It has to be related, not to the pandemic, but the racial injustice that they're trying to rectify before and after games. Don't move.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, because I assumed he was a
7: little bit fair, I didn't do it previously. He only writes bad books, and I actually got to read it last <laughs> night. I read it very quickly, and it was very boring. But there was not Is much in accurate, that accurate, Mr. That's, President? That's a boring book. Uh, it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I don't want to create panic. You know, people say, oh, you should have gone out there and say... Uh, you know, jumped up and down. You're going to die. You're going to die. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to build it up. And I'll say it right now. We're rounding the turn of the pandemic.
2: And that's the President of the United States talking about the Bob Woodward book. And he says that it's a a bad book. He says it's a boring book. I have not read it yet. I don't know if John Roberts has or got an advanced copy. But, you know, the last time that he did a book, it was called Fear, on the President of the United States. The big story was in the headline, in 60 Minutes, in the interview, and the rest of the book was almost a retread of everything else, all those other, um, you know, insider stories. Uh, There wasn't much original there. Joining me now is John Roberts. He He lives off the original. John, welcome back.
8: (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Good interview with the president this morning. And thank you guys for asking my question. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, directly. There was no subtlety (laughs) in Steve saying that John Roberts just texted me. And we were talking about the Middle East. Hey, John, listen, we always have to give both sides. You know, you talk about the Middle East and a peace deal. There's people that are going to be unhappy. But this is a titanic. They told us in social studies class in high school this would never happen. Israel will yeah. never be accepted in the Middle East. We'll never have a series of peace agreements. The Egyptian president that cut the deal got assassinated for it. Then we had right. to wait to 1994 for the next one, and now we got two.
8: Yeah, and and don't forget, Brian, that these are technically are not peace deals, though they you know they could be called that because. Uh, Unlike Egypt and Jordan, which were both in a state of war, an official state of war with Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain were not, but they did not have formal uh, diplomatic relations with Israel. So, I mean, this essentially does the same thing. It creates diplomatic relations between Israel and these two uh, very powerful uh, Gulf Arab nations. And any time that you can be talking about cooperative agreements, trade, exchange of uh, diplomatic missions, uh, rather than hostility and animosity toward each other, it's a, it's a good thing. So I, th- I think, you know, maybe not quite as significant as the Camp David Accords or the 1994 agreement with Jordan, but certainly very, very significant and, and taken together with what the president has done uh, vis-a-vis Israel, uh, declaring Jerusalem to be the capital, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, <clears throat> even though it's just kind of an expanded bit of the mission that was there right now, and then recognizing uh, Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights I mean, those are significant things that the president has done. So all of this talk back in 2015, 2016, that he was not a friend of Israel, uh, clearly did not hold. And all of the apocalyptic uh, prognostications that the president would ignite war in the Middle East by making these moves uh, seems to have been uh, proven completely wrong. So, he, you know, he's the president who has accomplished pretty much what Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton have done and is virtually getting no credit for it.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, there's so much news and it's kind of overwhelming, but it's interesting because he did two, two things. He said, I'm done with this Iranian deal and I'm not going to adhere to it. And it turns out the Sunni countries in the region were abhorred by the Iran deal. They, were, they feared it. Oh yeah. And when the president walked away from it at the same time, is, his relations with Netanyahu were awful. And ten- tangentially, so is Israel. So at the same, so then comes the new guy and goes, "Yeah, I'm for Israel and I'm against this deal." And they say, "Wait a second, we tried life the old way. I, it's time to come forward and say we'd like it this way." They knew what we all knew. Israel was not a threat to them.
8: Yeah, Iran it, is. It, 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 and, you know, here's the thing, too, is I was on that very first trip that the president made when he went to Saudi Arabia, and he went to that Gulf Cooperation Council meeting and gave, gave that big speech. You could, you could tell that there was a different perception yeah. of President Trump than there had been of Obama. And in fact, as warm as the relationship was between President Bush and leaders in the Arab region, uh, by virtue of the fact that he was George H.W. Bush's son, uh, I thought that uh, President Trump was much more simpatico with these leaders of these uh, Arab nations and the Gulf Arab nations. And you could kind of tell after that summit that something was was brewing. Uh, and, you know, if if the uh, normalization of relations with the UAE and Bahrain are just the first shoes to drop, and there are more, you know, there's talk that Saudi Arabia may be getting ready to do the same thing. And that would be huge. And and the question that I asked you and Steve uh, to ask the president, I'm so thankful that you did, was Is is this a strategy? To surround the Palestinians with normalization agreements so that they are basically forced to come to the table because they're the odd person out. And he said, mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to some degree, that is the strategy, which is completely the reverse of other administrations who have tried, and it's kind of like banging your head against the wall because it feels so good when you stop, to cut deals between Israel and the Palestinians, always to have the Palestinians walk away either at the last moment or at some point during the process as a way to build the foundation foundation for broader middle east peace or normalization of relations this president's doing it the other way around and yeah and it is so far it's there's working. no yes
2: or arafat uh there's hamas and hamas has never been palatable to americans for a good reason they're a terrorist organization uh john great job thanks so much talk to you soon thanks brian uh lieutenant colonel alan west is next on um, with these peace deals and so much more don't move
9: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: I've seen the signs in New Jersey. I've seen the signs in St. Louis. And I've seen the people that have those signs in their houses. They're completely oblivious to
10: the reality that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist revolutionary group that wants the overthrow of this government. They don't have a clue. And
8: yet, they'll support them just, you know. Insanely
7: support them, yeah. and then you have the sports figures, these million dollar sports figures, wearing the names of these thugs, like that thug that was found
8: entertaining. That if he got shot and killed, they'd be wearing his name on a helmet or a jersey. Yeah.
2: That was Bernie Carrick, just fed up with the law and disorder in our country and the assassination attempts. Thankfully, failed, it seems, with a shot in the head and a shot. Uh, and wow uh, a shot in the head and really a shot in the jaw on two sheriff deputies in Los Angeles. Pretty crazy stuff over in Compton and sadly it's not the only place it's happening. Now we see cops under attack. We see them get fired after they resigned in Rochester Nice try Mayor, you're totally incompetent We see what's happening in Texas too. with an officer who got fired because of a shooting that they claim was controversial and then we see uh, also uh, what is going on with this uh, controversy with this autistic man with a knife coming at a cop, and now they're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and now they're complaining about the cop. How dare you shoot him? Well, you go, You tell me what you would do if you're a trained law enforcement officer and someone's coming at you twice the size of you with a knife, screaming. Joining us now, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, usually <laughs> I go to you for war advice, but you actually might need some Iraq and Afghanistan experience if you want to work, walk the streets of America these days.
10: No, hey, Brian, it's great to be with you, and you're absolutely right. What you see happening on the streets of the United States of America is a domestic insurgency. I mean, we are witnessing terrorist attacks. We are witnessing an insurgent group uh, being an anti-fine Black Lives Matter, and this they're they are honed in on threats, coercion, intimidation, and violence. And it is amazing to me that you have one political party that is completely oblivious dismissing it, uh, Gerald Nadler once said that antifa was just a myth and i just don't think that we have the republican elected officials that are standing up strong enough uh against this i mean this is a threat to our safety and security and i have to tell you being down here in texas this is one of the reasons why you're seeing gun sales just uh, shoot off the charts in the last couple of months
2: so uh you could probably relate to this uh, people. people don- have never seen you you you're uh black uh, so it was James Craig, the police chief in Detroit. And now people mm-hmm. are saying that because he became a cop, he is no longer black. He responded to that, cut 19.
3: Uh, that's ridiculous. I've been an African-American male all my life. I started in this business 44 years ago, 10 years after civil unrest in the city of Detroit. I've been a proud African-American. I rose through the ranks. Nobody gave me anything. So for him to say that, Who does he call? Who does his family call when they need help? They call
10: the police.
2: So you understand that sentiment. People tell you things like that uh, you've told me in the past.
10: Yeah, it's amazing to me. You know, I'm someone that was born in 1961 in a blacks only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in a black neighborhood, the old Fourth Ward neighborhood. That's the neighborhood that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born and raised in, where Ebenezer Baptist Church is. But when you have these insidious uh, comments that are made by people like Joe Biden that say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, well, that's the mentality that is permeating all throughout the progressive socialist left, and therefore you have these, I call them the Overseers on the new 21st century economic plantation that are defining you based upon your skin color. So if you do not go out and and join with this Marxist organization, Black Lives Matter. If you don't support, you know, all of their their radicalism, then obviously you're not black enough, or you don't understand black. But but, Brian, think about this. Black Lives Matter is not talking about the violence in Chicago. They're not talking about the lack of fathers in many of these black uh, homes and. THESE URBAN uh, NEIGHBORHOODS. THEY'RE NOT TALKING ABOUT THE FACT THAT IN NEW YORK CITY, there are more black babies murdered in the womb than there are born. Then I talk about the fact that the black community only makes up 13 percent of the population of the United States of America, but yet we're 35 percent of the abortions in the United States of America. So what they're doing is just going out there. They have a nice, cute name. They are going and, and, and promoting this Marxist agenda, which has nothing to do with the issues that are facing the black community. But if you say that, and I'm sure many of them are listening to me now, if you say that, then you're demonized, denigrated, and and disparaged. And so So when I look at the NBA, when I look at the NFL, when I look at all of these professional organizations, these entertainers that are supporting a Marxist organization, a a domestic insurgency, they're on the wrong side of history.
2: So this in Texas, bring it to where you're at. You're in charge of the Republican Party, the GOP there. Uh, Texas police officer has been charged after fatally shooting a woman who grabbed his stun gun. So this officer is facing assault charges in connection with this uh, the, the fatal shooting of this 44-year-old woman after a struggle over the, his taser. A Harris County grand jury indicted this Baytown officer named Juan de la Cruz for shooting Pamela Turner in the parking lot of an apartment complex where they both lived in May of 2019. I ask you, when did all this disrespect and and lack of respect for officers start? Listen, I don't know the details of this, but I don't know anybody who grabs the gun of a cop, stun gun, revolver, or anything else.
10: Well, it happened with Michael Brown. Remember all of the kerfluffle up there in Ferguson? And we come to find out that he actually did attack that police officer in the car after he had assaulted a store owner and uh, took property from it. But of course, the narrative was out out there was completely against the truth that was being told. And even when the truth came out, people refused to accept it. They continue on with the hands up, don't shoot when he was in there trying to take a a weapon. We have seen progressively over the last few years an undermine of the sense of uh, respect for authority uh, with the law enforcement and really respect for the rule of law, period. And so the choice that we have going into this election cycle, are we going to stand up for the rule of law or are we going to allow the rule of the mob? Do we believe in law and order or do we believe in chaos and violence? And, yes, if you go in and grab a police officer's stun gun and try to grab his weapon, that's an assault. On that police officer, that police officer has every right to defend themselves. And uh, this was not a white police officer down in uh, in Baytown. So, what is going to be the narrative against him?
2: I'm not sure. Uh, You know, I don't know if they could get a rally on that, like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You have a maniac who might be uh, might be uh, mentally he he was off his meds, according to his sister, um, autistic coming at this officer with a with a what look like a huge knife so he shot him and now there's been three days of protests and now they have to go out use all their forces to keep these people away from overtaking the Lancaster uh, uh, police precinct. What's going on here?
10: Well where was the family that that would have allowed this young man with autism and obviously not making sure he stayed on his mask to go out and take a knife. I mean, when does the family take some responsibility for for allowing that to happen? Uh, And again, if you're going to approach – if you're approaching me with a knife, Brian, uh, I'm not going to sit and ask you how do you feel today. I'm not going to try to ascertain what your real issue is. I have to defend myself. Your number one inalienable right that you have endowed to you in our declaration is life. So I don't know what people are thinking that police officers are just supposed to, you know, lose their lives. And what is even more despicable is the the, uh, the comments that were made by that city manager out in California that really said that those two sheriff's deputies in in L.A. deserve to be shot because of, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. We cannot have these type of people in elected positions or positions of of management within our government. We cannot allow this type of sentiment to permeate all across the United States of America. But again, This is progressive socialism. This is Marxism. This is what they do. They undermine law and order, and this is the domestic insurgency, no different from what I have seen in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when you talk to the people here in the Vietnamese community in Texas, they will tell you this is no different from the Viet Cong. Antifa is no different from the tactics of the Viet Cong.
2: Very interesting, because uh, Catherine Herridge is reporting that there's no doubt about it that Antifa is an organized insurgency in Portland. And that's what people are, uh, are telling her. Remember, she's with CBS now. But uh, she knows a lot about these, uh, these terror activities, which people seem to be soft-pedaling Antifa. I don't. I'm wondering why it's taken yeah. so long to unwind them. I mean, we seem to have an easier time with Hezbollah and al-Qaeda than Antifa. Why?
10: Because I think for whatever reason, it's hard for us to get our, our, our heads around the issue that you have a domestic terrorist organization operating in the United States of America that is well-funded, that is well-supported. When you start to think about these uh, these Hollywood uh, entertainment elites that are putting money into bailout funds for these terrorists, that they are domestic terrorists. Uh, this is despicable. It's disgusting. So I think that what we have to first and foremost do is start peeling back their support Finding out where they're getting their resources. When people are showing up in, in these communities, like they did in Austin, Texas, about a month and a half ago, on 11 buses, you find out who uh, funded those buses and you, who paid for the gas and and who is you know making sure that these people can can go right. and, and get the arms and the equipment that they have. And look, Facebook and, and you know Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, why are they allowing these people to coordinate their actions on uh, these social media platforms? But a conservative can't put you know together and try to have a uh a, a conservative gathering they'll they'll kick them off of facebook and twitter
2: uh pretty amazing and uh lastly with what's going on in texas right now i understand they're starting to put some more money into texas does is biden although the president's trending uh seems to be back in control by still in single digits do you sense the biden people are not giving up
10: well, this is what the Biden people are doing. They're bringing in 13 more uh, you know, staff and you know, some heavy hitters. But let me tell you what happened this past weekend in Texas. 7,000 people participated in a Trump train, cars or trucks, in Laredo, Texas. Two weeks before that, you had the exact same thing down in the Rio Grande Valley. Those are what they call deep blue areas. But people are rising up, and they are that they don't want to go down the path of the anarchists, the progressive socialists, the Marxists that the Democrat Party have embraced. So you're going to see a big, big uh, message that's going to be sent from Texas. And it's going to come from the, the Hispanic communities, the, the black communities, the Vietnamese communities. It's going to come from those minority communities who have the much the much to lose if we allow people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to uh, to be in charge.
2: Um, the president has two weeks to get ready for these debates. We've seen incumbent presidents flat in the first debate, Bush 41, 43 and Obama against Romney famously. I don't know if if you really have to worry about that with President Trump because he's never stopped fighting. What do you think?
10: No, I don't think the president will be flat whatsoever. I think that when you look at all the issues they're on uh, his side, Joe Biden wants to destroy the American economy with his, his taxes. I mean, the Tax Foundation has come out and said that Joe Biden has embraced the Green New Deal which means decimating the oil and gas industry here in Texas, making America no longer energy independent and a net export of his energy resources. If you want to talk about national security and foreign policy. Joe Biden is in bed with the Chinese. We know that his family and look at the uh, foreign policy and the national security policy of the Obama, Obama, Biden administration. We don't want to go back to that. So on every single point, uh, President Trump is going to be able to take Joe Biden to task and he's going to be on the offense, not on the defense.
2: He is a, um- Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, now in charge of the Texas uh, Republican Party. Uh, Continued success, uh, Colonel. Stay busy.
10: I will. Thanks so much, Brian. You take care.
2: You got it. 1-866-408-7669. We'll be back with your call. So I know you have a lot to say. We talked to the president for an hour on Fox & Friends. We got some of those highlights. We just gave you a lot of information, John Roberts from Washington, uh, Colonel West, on the law and disorder in our country. And then last night, uh, it's been pretty clear that with all these demonstrations in football, Americans are staying away. Ratings are down on Sunday Night Football on NBC, 30%. What do you
11: think? Back in a moment.
1: You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're
7: with Brian Kilmeade. The Bernstein book was was really boring, I have to tell you. and, and the Woodward book and Bernstein's book, I read a Bernstein book, the guy can't write. But Woodward's book to me was a very boring, it was a very boring, uh, it was inaccurate. Let's put it this way, no matter what you did, it was going to be negative. But I wanted to give it a shot. I didn't devote much time, but I wanted to devote time. Last time I didn't talk to him and it was a bad book.
2: So the president, I'd say, is talking about spending 18 uh, separate interviews, nine hours, the, roughly, with Bob Woodward. And Woodward hit, you know, basically keeps saying the same thing over and over again. It makes me think that the most controversial part, already said, last book called Fear, this is called Rage. Last book called Fear, he came out with a 60-minute sensationalist headline. The rest of this stuff was all retread stuff. Uh, Bob Woodward, he got a lot of respect from the president. And in the end, he concluded the president's the wrong man for the job, which has got to be real insulting uh, for the president. But he's being low bowling it, I think it's smart. So This way he doesn't up book sales. One day he'll be watching maybe a television show and then he'll uh, rage tweet perhaps. Mike, listen, WNDB in Daytona,
12: Florida. Mike. Hey, Brian. Uh, If we've heard everything, if we've heard the biggest bombshell from the uh, Woodward book, Brian, there's nothing to it. But I wanted to tell you, uh, you were talking about uh, the NFL ratings being down. Brian, Thursday afternoon I called nfl ticket and i i canceled my subscription why i've had them for several years why and you know what i'm going to do with that three hundred dollars brian i'm going to donate that three hundred dollars to the re-elect donald trump campaign (laughs) and and i i think other people should do that too brian these guys are taking a knee to get attention and that's fine we they have they have our attention now go out and do something taking a knee is nothing Go out and do something in the community. Patch up the, the police relationship with the Afri- African-American community. Donate some money. Get some opportunity to, zones. A lot of
2: them are. A lot of them are. I think the best thing that someone can do right now is flood the area with the Boys and Girls Clubs. Go in there and mentor with your time. Provide some leadership and provide uh, some insight into growing up in America. Black, white, or Latino – Male or female because if the parents' not there, we're not going to just wait another generation from the get there. Let's go help out. but I just don't like the idea of disrespecting the flag in the country. I think the country is the is the least uh, uh, it's, it's the least of the culprits in this whole thing. Tony listening in Canada, Tony.
5: Hey Brian, I love your show first off uh, calling you from the Toronto area. I would just right. saying to your uh, screener there. You know, we have a left-wing government here in Canada, and it's an absolute catastrophe. I heard. forty three billion billion in debt, and our population is uh, about 37 million versus your 330 million. So we have a guy who's bowed down to China. He's uh, uh, eliminated our AAA credit rating. And, uh, you know, God help you guys if, uh, if Joe Biden gets elected.
2: But he's in great shape, and he's endlessly sexy with wonderful dimples.
5: You know, so, so is our, uh, that's exactly our prime minister. I hope you're referring to our prime minister not Joe yes, Biden. Yes, I
2: was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know.
5: I know,
2: they, but, uh, he, I know. He just doesn't like the president. Uh, he loved President Obama, but hasn't really helped relations between the countries. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening.
9: from the fox news podcasts network
8: i'm ben Dominich, publisher of the Federalist, and i'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going subscribe to the ben Dominic podcast
9: subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. from the fox news radio studios in new york
1: city giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach it's brian kilmeade
2: I'm pretty sure that's my cue. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Today, coming to you from Washington, D.C. and heard around the country, Uh, normally coming to you from uh, New York City, a place that used to be bustling. Now it's overrun with mentally ill and homeless, thanks to the worst mayor in America. We have a lot to discuss today and a lot to go through. If you're in the New York area, you know what it's like watching the Giants. It seems like the same Giants from the last five years fall woefully short on talent and execution too many interceptions, so they lose to the Steelers. What else is new? another uh, New York story is the New York Mets have a new owner. Hopefully this person has an idea how to balance their books and put a winning team on the field. Steve Cohen, congratulations. $2.4 billion. He outbid me by $2.4 billion. So I was very unlucky. 1-866-408-7669. This hour we're going to be joined by General Jack Keane. It's going to be historic. The President of the United States welcomes Benjamin Netanyahu into the Oval Office as well as uh, representatives from Bahrain the United Arab Emirates, they begin to recognize each other's capitals. You know, they told us in social studies and history class, there'll never be peace in the Middle East, and there probably will never be total peace, But my goodness, we are getting closer and closer. Israel, normalized relations with the UAE, Bahrain, Egypt and Jordan already in the books, now real uh, major fighting going on, except for what Iran and they're dead set on fomenting terror. And there are authoritarian, authoritarian government around the world, especially in Lebanon, especially in Syria. Meanwhile, we just talked to the president of the United States about it a little while ago on Fox and Friends. We got some cuts from that. I had a chance to ask him a few questions, and we'll go over that over the course of 45 minutes. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories
3: you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I want to briefly address you know, our team statement during the national anthem? and Just say that we will continue to bring attention to systemic racism and the injustice that our Black communities are enduring, and we will continue to demonstrate our convictions to support and uplift our Black communities.
2: That was up uh, Frank Reich of the Colts. Pro sports ratings are paying a price for bringing race and politics to the field and locker room. As even the NFL suffers a double-digit drop in ratings. I'm all uh, I'm all for the athletes being socially responsible, but can we make the game about the game?
12: Number two.
5: The American police officer is is under attack like
4: it's never been under attack before. And law enforcement is the only profession where people want to kill you strictly because you're a police officer.
2: Jamie McBride, police officer, talking about America's disrespect for law and order and those who wear the the blue. Reaching an all-time high, by the way, or should I say low, two-thirds of the nation lists a major concern, security as two LP, uh, Los Angeles sheriff deputies struggle for their lives after an ambush over the weekend. How do we make that horror a turning point?
6: Number one. I want to thank you and acknowledge the work that you've done to be immediate in terms of your response. This may be a record that the states received in the FMAG support, uh, as well as the major disaster declaration which you referenced. And that is Gavin Newsom.
2: Democratic governor of California, one of three states ravaged by wildfires again, praising the president for coming to visit and praising the president for being there for him, writing the big check. And I think he's very smart to do it. 49 days to the 2020 election, real life events of both Biden and Trump in action on the West Coast rages and being burned up by uh, unrest as well as fires, Washington and Oregon as well. How this all plays into the issue of climate change and the mutual respect between Newsom and Trump was great to see. It's not the same, of course. You know, if Newsom was running against Trump, there would be uh, angst. But I'm sure the Democrats are calling up Gavin Newsom today going, what are you doing? How dare you prop up the president and make him look like a leader, Make make him look personable? Make him look understanding. And I'm sure Newsom over the next two or three days will find a time to criticize the president and the president will fire back and it'll be business as abnormal as usual. But the president of the United States is pointing out the fact that in 2009, he wrote a column, signed on a column saying that climate change should be addressed right away. But global warming at the time. But he also doesn't want to destroy the economy and thinks the the green New Green Deal goes way too far. It'll destroy the economy from cows to getting rid of oil and gas and fracking and everything that goes along with it. It's not going to happen. Here's the president of the United States on that very issue. Cut three.
7: The Green New Deal is, is, is a farce. The Green New Deal would really cost $100 trillion. That's more money than we could make in 100 years. It's ridiculous. And it would put us, our factories would be closed, our right. businesses would be closed. It's
2: ridiculous. Uh, the president, of course, saying that, but also noticing, he says, listen, I want clean gas and oil. I'm not going to destroy fossil fuels. We'll burn it cleaner. We'll do it responsibly. Now, Joe Biden says I'm getting rid of all fossil fuels, in 20- fossil fuels in- by 2035. And he went after Trump because he can. Cut
3: five. If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? If you give a climate denier four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised when more of America is underwater? We need a president who respect science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here.
2: Oh, my goodness. What are you going to do? The Paris Accord's good, so we're going to tie our economy to other economies and punish ourselves for doing better than anybody else outside maybe Norway and Sweden. But you know that Russia and China aren't transparent about anything. And that's what the president's point. Look, let's handle our own thing here. It's a big planet. We can't control it. Why pretend to? Why sanction ourselves and hurt Texas and Pennsylvania and Ohio and people who drill off the coast of California? And and around the country, while you have this theory on global climate change, which there's a lot of dispute about. Here's Gavin Newsom. For him, there is no dispute. Or just about anybody else on the left coast. Cut 11.
6: We obviously feel very strongly that the hots are getting hotter, the dries are getting drier. Something's happened to the plumbing of the world. Climate change is real, and that is exacerbating this.
2: But he also says the president has a point. Better forest management
6: would help cut 10. There's no question when you look past this decade and looking past almost 1,000-plus years that we have not done justice on our forest management. I don't think anyone disputes that. I want to acknowledge we have uh, our U.S. forest representative here. The state of California, your administration, just entered into a first-type commitment over the next 20 years to double our vegetation management and forest management. I want to thank you for supporting that effort, funding that effort. We acknowledge our role and responsibility to do more in that space. So, President, this is all you need to do. And this is what I hope if
2: he gets a second term, this is what happens. Yeah, Gavin Newsom don't agree on this and taxes and, and fees, and I get it. And we disagree on these other aspects of education. All right, but let's not attack each other personally. My sense is, if there's no Mueller report, Ukrainian impeachment, there is no denial about the president winning the election. There is probably a totally different presidency. But you go in a fight, you go in the ring with a fighter, and you you take a swing at him, and you expect him not to hit you back. It's not going to happen. And you don't stop swinging for three and a half years, and don't expect him to stop swinging back. It's not going to happen. I wonder with a fresh start, with conversations like that, when Democrats realize if he gets four more years, he's staying for four more years, if they will dig in and deal. And the president, if he would dig in and relent just a little bit. Meanwhile, the president has to feel good about this. In one poll, he has taken the lead back in North Carolina, the uh, Talfarger Group, uh, found by Robert uh, Kahali. Uh, He shared that news, he does lean right, but some of these other polls are leading the same direction. It's part of the reason why Joe Biden has decided to leave. Notice he never travels two days in a row. He had a two virtual, did nothing over the weekend, and then on Monday he did a virtual event, and now today he's going to Florida for the first time because I think he's trailing there. He's losing Latino votes, but he's gotten seniors from the president president gets seniors back by showing that he's on top of the coronavirus and the scene and scenery in Nevada, in Henderson, Nevada, of um, a lot of people there without masks doing an indoor event is not going to make seniors think that he cares about it when it comes to the coronavirus. You may not think that matters, but it seems to matter to uh, to seniors. But I think that's pretty interesting. So the president says uh, left California for Arizona, leaving Arizona after a great meeting with our incredible Hispanic community. Heard fantastic, inspiring stories. He thinks things are trending for McSally's direction, too, in Arizona. He'll be landing in Washington, which he did, and he did our interview this morning. Joe Biden continues to rant from different locations in, in and around Wilmington, Delaware, second smallest state in the country, saying he's being responsible. I don't think he has a choice. I'm looking at him. He gets lost in the prompter and he gets lost. He got lost again yesterday where he just made no sense. I don't think his necessarily a scriptwriter is helping him that much either. But I did pull one of those cuts. I don't know if I have it out now of him just reading off the prompter. And uh, yeah, let's listen to cut eight.
3: Thank you very much. I'm anxious to hear what the president had to say.
5: Thank you. All right. That was the former vice president there in Wilmington, Delaware. Joe Biden. We were-
3: To produce power without carbon pollution will be the greatest spur to job creation and economic competitiveness in the 21st century. Not to mention the positive benefits to our health and our environment. We need to get to work right away. We'll need scientists at the national labs and land-grant universities, historic black colleges and universities to improve and innovate technologies needed to generate, store, and transmit this clean electric. We need engineers to design and workers to manufacture these new products. We'll need iron workers and welders to install them.
2: Yeah. All right. Good luck with that on the historic black colleges. Evidently, he's not feeling too secure about the black vote. Uh, I guess President Obama is going to be needed again Uh, here. So Joe Biden did not take questions. And if I'm a reporter after a while, I'm insulted. I travel around, I don't travel around, wherever I go, he appears, I show up, and he doesn't answer a question. You do a stand-up in front of a a speech that was written by him and was given out stiffly. You sit in a little circle on a chair, in a folding chair, and you don't get a question. After a while, people are like, you know what, I'm just going to take the day off. And when you ask a question, and some of the questions are, why aren't you mad at President Trump? Please one General Jack Keane at the bottom of the hour with the historic peace agreements about to be signed, as well as Iran. A plot revealed that they were going to try to assassinate our ambassador to South, the U.S. ambassador to South Africa, because she is a friend of the president's, and to get him back for killing uh, Soleimani, they're still trying to get redemption on that. We'll talk about that, the Iranian threat, and the unified force now against Iran and the region. you will listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian
9: Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: This challenge is to LeBron James. I want you to match that and double that reward because I know you care about law enforcement. You expressed a very, very uh, interesting statement about your perspective on race relations and on uh, officer-involved shootings and the impact that it has on the African-American community, I appreciate that. But likewise, we need to appreciate that respect for life goes across professions, across races, creeds, And I'd like to see LeBron James step up to the plate.
2: Sheriff Villanueva talking about the assassination attempt on two police officers who sat in their car in Compton, California. Uh, And, of course, he's the L.A. Lakers superstar now. Uh, LeBron James maybe the most famous athlete in the country and activist. And he said, uh, we have about $200,000 reward for the person who shot these two officers. Uh, Maybe you want to double that, LeBron James. And I'll tell you what, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity that the LeBron James has that Shaquille O'Neal certainly would have taken him up with. He's very pro-law enforcement. And said, listen, black community uh, needs to address, uh, needs to address uh, their relationship with law enforcement. Fine but also the security of law enforcement is, is key and paramount because you do not have society without it. This would be a great opportunity for LeBron. I hope he takes uh, the police chief up on it, but I doubt it. Uh, sheriff, I should say. Ted, listen, WKBZ in Michigan. Ted.
5: Good morning, Brian. Listen, uh, a real eye-opener happened to me in West Michigan. I own uh, a couple restaurants in the West Michigan area. And uh, one of my Facebook posts that I put on one of my restaurants, uh, it said uh, basically, you know, come watch the Lions versus the Bears. And this is a restaurant that the community really, really loves. And the the mean comments that just came roaring through uh, will never come to your place if you're going to show the Lions or the Bears or any NFL game. And I I was shocked. Now, I know that there's – bad blood with the NFL, but this really shocked me. I mean, customers were actually calling me, Ted, we love you. You know, what you do is awesome. but You cannot be putting NFL games on the TV. And I really should have known, because I went into downtown Grand Rapids where there was riots, and there's a huge sports bar right in the downtown area, and there was not one NBA game on. There was wow. 90% of these TVs had women's tennis on. Not one NBA game. And that's all you got to see. And it, well, the women's tennis honestly, final even had me, uh,
2: Osaka, who I think is half African American. Uh, right. She had uh, Brianna Taylor on her mask and yep. different yep. Uh, Black Lives Matter. So, and what people are saying is, Yeah, racial uh, uh, inequities in society. Let's address it. Let's find out what the deal is. But don't accuse us of being racist. And don't hit us over the head when we're trying to watch a football game. Don't do it and get in our face when we're trying to watch a basketball game. But at the same time, I understand if you become very successful and you come from uh, the inner city, you feel as though you're in a, a rare opportunity to go back and reach back. And how can I help? But don't accuse me of hurting. And I think a lot of people are saying, you're accusing me of being racist, and now you want a check or you want me to bow down to you? And I think the American people are fed up with it, of all uh, creeds and colors.
5: Uh, quite honestly, I was a political guy, and then I was starting to listen to ESPN radio, and now I can't listen to that. I don't know. I guess I <laughs> listen to uh, me Fox, uh, Fox Business. Nah, stick I don't me. know what else. Thanks, Ted. Good luck with
2: your good luck with your company. Uh, with your with your bar, Eric, WDBO in Orlando. Eric.
8: Right on point as usual, Brian. Um I want to jump in on that guy's last comment real quick. Uh imagine you're a fourteen year old girl and you see a football player with the name of your racist of your rapist on his helmet. But uh I wanted to jump in on the uh the fires. I think it's kind of amazing. If you just do a quick Google search, you're seeing that global warming is just starting fires
5: along the highways. And uh, it's kind of amazing that they've arrested 14 arsonists so far just in Oregon. One woman is fighting
8: for her freedom. She caught a guy lighting a fire. She caught him him red-handed, held him at gunpoint the cops got there now she's being prosecuted for brandishing a weapon or something like that but it's just going crazy they're burning the country down literally your thoughts right
2: 65 uh, percent of the country are very concerned about law and order and the disarray that we find our cities in right now 65 percent of the country uh, that reaches all across all sectors and they have every reason to be worried, by the way, because uh, we're in a problematic situation and the president of the United States almost feels as though if he puts his hand on the scale before the election, they'll accuse him of doing things for the election. And he doesn't want to do it. So, therefore, we're basically fending for ourselves as more police chiefs resign or, in the case of Rochester, get fired. When we come back, General Jack Keene, on the historic peace deals, uh, the Afghanistan drawdown and more.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Do
2: you regret not taking out Assad? And do you, was it because of Russia being allied with him is why you didn't do it? And do you regret not doing it? No, I don't regret that. I could have lived either way with that. That You know, I, I considered
7: him... Certainly not a good person, but uh, I had a shot to take him out if I wanted, and Mattis was against it. Mattis was against most of that stuff. He'd keep you in military, but he didn't know how to win.
2: That was uh, the president of the United States uh, a couple of hours ago on Fox & Friends. Him and uh, General Mattis ended on bad terms, obviously, he was former secretary of defense. But we did get confirmed that, that they did have a clear shot at Assad, and the president was being urged to take the shot by John Bolton and others, and General Mattis evidently won out the day. They were afraid about what Russia would do since he was allied with Russia. And under the Obama administration, Russia was let back into the Middle East because we sat in our hands and watched ISIS form. And uh, Assad about to wither. And then Russia came in and tried to prop up one of their few allies in the region. We know the rest is history. It worked. General Jack Keane joins us now. Four-star general, now retired. Uh, General Keane, does it surprise you that we had a shot at Assad and we didn't take it? And do you think we made a mistake?
14: Uh, well, no, I, I, I didn't. I was not aware of that. Uh, I, I, my thought on that was we were not involved in conflict operations uh, with Assad. We were, you know, our mission was ISIS, not the regime. We had made a conscious decision not to topple that regime so uh, my recommendation would have been the same as Mattis's, uh, based on that fact. Here's more.
7: Mattis was not a good leader. He didn't know how to lead. He did not. He didn't well, have a concept. He, Mr. President, I know you guys in a, jail, but he is yeah. a
2: great American, and he did give a lot to the country. You know that. But you guys, well, they didn't jail I know him jail. differently. Yeah. See, I
7: know him as a person, and I don't. I, I just didn't think he did a good job. I mean, I don't say he's a good American or a bad American. I just say he didn't do a good job. I let him go. I okay. told him, give me a letter. And you know, I got to find
2: somebody else. So, uh, you know, Mattis is a different story. He he resigned, but uh, obviously, some conflict there.
14: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the president, if, if he doesn't believe any one of his policymakers is is not meeting his objectives, it's certainly uh, it, it's his uh, responsibility to do something about that. In my mind, and you know, so he he felt that was the case, and. I think there was a natural parting of the ways, to be frank about it. I think it had been going on for a number of months. Yep. Certainly the issue over ISIS and Syria was the, was the last one. Uh, I also uh, agreed with uh, Secretary Mattis uh, on that issue. I mean, I, I don't believe uh, we should have made that deal with Erdogan. Uh, we've had a disaster up in the Northeast as a result of it, and I don't think— and we should have pulled, uh, reduced those forces, which were modest forces uh, in northeastern Syria at the time, 2,000 were down to about uh, 500. I did have an opportunity to discuss this with the president, uh, you know, much later than, uh, than General Manis' uh, resignation. And uh, he was persuaded, I don't think just by me, I think other people certainly were influencing him that uh, giving up the oil fields in eastern Syria, which represented 70 percent of the oil fields in Syria, to the Iranians made no sense. Uh, And that's what would happen uh, if we pulled out uh, completely, particularly in view of the fact that we're sanctioning the Iranians, uh, you know, for their malign and aggressive behavior, and to give them those oil fields as a revenue source would just— Diminish the impact of the sanctions. I think that was persuasive, uh, you know, to the right. president. That's why we still have some troops there.
2: General Jack Keen with us. Uh, General, uh, 235 former military leaders support Trump. They pledged their support for Trump because they say it preserves their historic way of life. Uh, the quote was, "With the Democratic Party welcoming in socialists and Marxists, our historic way of life is uh, is at stake." So they support him. It's the first real formal support from the military community we've seen especially with the blowback off the Atlantic story and then you have uh, some Revelations coming up in this uh, Woodward book of his conflict with Mattis So there are people out there. I've run across them all the time But these are the people that you most of you know more people in the military than I ever will uh, A lot of people are supportive of what the president has done with the rules of engagement and actually funding the Defense Department
14: Yes uh... Well, let me just comment first. I, while the 235 military people, you know, have certainly it's within their right. This is uh, a wonderful, flourishing democracy here. You can express your opinion publicly on just about anything. Uh, Then they have a right to do that. However, I I have I have never supported activities like that. I mean, I don't endorse a candidate. I, I would never attend a a convention of either party. Um, and, and I, and I think it's, and I don't, uh, provide, I don't, uh, donate to any political cause either. Now, why is that? I mean, I, I, I believe in my own mind that, uh, even though we're in a retired status and we, and we have the opportunity for that public expression, if you're in a, on active duty, you do not, that is prohibited. Uh, but, I, I think it impacts those who are serving on active duty. And, and the reason is, is this. Uh, I, I don't believe when when our leaders look at the military, our civilian leaders look at the military, they, they shouldn't think of them as having a political persuasion. They, they should think of them as part of the chain of command and, and, and their loyalty and, and obedience is to that chain of command. And... So we don't want people to think of the military as being political. And the more retired guys do that, I I think it impacts on that. That's my own personal view. I I believe it's likely a minority view. Um, But I I don't have any issue dealing with policy. Obviously, I've had strong feelings about the, the previous president's policy and also this president's policy I largely support. Is foreign policy and national security, but I have taken issue uh, with certain aspects of it uh, from a policy perspective. But in, in, in actually getting into the politics of it, uh, I think it would be better if we, we stayed out of it. But that that's just my personal view.
2: Yeah, I, I guess when, you know, there's rumors that in October some high-profile general is going to have a press conference to talk about how unworthy the president is to be president, so... Uh, we'll have to see who that'll if that'll actually comes out, but I want to talk about good news, and I think it's good news. I don't know how you poke holes in it unless you're an Iranian. The UAE and Israel, as well as Bahrain, are going to start normalizing relations to the best they can. Here's the UAE diplomat Omar Gabash. Cut
3: twenty-three.
11: I think it's tremendously uh, significant. Um, the uh, the region is really very very tired of all of the conflict that uh, it's witnessed ever since I was a child. So we're talking about decades. Um, and we really want to move to a, a, a phase where we can, uh, rather than um, uh, resort to violence and conflict, that we can actually solve conflicts through uh, cooperation and uh, discussion uh, and and connecting with each other. And do you think this is the foundation?
14: Well, I, I absolutely do believe this. Not only is this historic, but it is it is very significant. And it's regrettable that the media is not paying attention. For what this it really is, this region is starving for economic and cultural development, political stability, and increased security for their people. They've had eight years of the Obama administration, which had an appeasement policy to, towards Iran, hoping to bring them into the international community of responsible nations. That blew up in their faces. Uh, because after they got the windfall of a hundred plus billion dollars as a result of the nuclear deal and the sanctions removal, the Iranians threw the majority of that money into their proxies and increased the violence. As the nuclear deal was being signed in 2015, the Houthis were in were toppling the regime uh, in Yemen, and they are proxies of the Iranians. They increased the the arms. And, and rockets and, and missiles uh, to the uh, Iraqi proxies in, in Iraq. And the same thing with funding the war uh, in Syria. So that policy, you know, failed on the face of it. And at the same time, the Obama administration not only disengaged from all the Arabs as a result of that policy I just mentioned, they pushed back on the Israelis in a way that no administration has, Brian, ever uh, since the state was formed. So in comes the Trump administration. They engage the region. They engage all the, the Arab states, 55 leaders in a room in July of 2017, first international trip the president makes. And he says this, which is a paraphrase of his comments. I stand with you side by side against our number one strategic enemy in the region, Iran. And that was profound on the surface of it. And they recognized then that they had a fundamental change in policy. And then the president reached out and strengthened the relationship with Israel, which none of the Arab states were opposed to, to include the Golan Heights, uh, recognizing it as Israelis, and to include the embassy move. Mild protests in the region, largely for uh, public consumption, But the fact is that the president strengthened the relationship with the Arabs and the Israelis. The states, therefore, in the region knew, with the exception of Iran, that the United States had their back. And based on that, they were able to move closer together, yes, with a common enemy, but also to change the very nature of the region. And that's why this is so significant. These countries want fundamental change and move forward for the sake of their people. And the other thing, not publicly stated, Brian, is that they are tired of the Palestinian rejectionist attitude. One concession after another, going all the way back to a very significant one by E.U. Barak, who was the prime minister and conceded significant um, issues to Arafat, and he rejected all of them. And, And they are tired that the Palestinians are not willing to accept mm-hmm. some political risk to move forward, so they're moving forward and 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 certainly, I think it's it really is going to improve the re, the region writ large, and certainly it's a huge shot across the bow uh, of the Iranians in achieving this kind of public unification.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the president did tell me that he would I said, are you that secure with this deal that Israel be okay with you selling F-35s? He goes, I would sell them to UAE, our military equipment. Uh, so that would, you know, Israel a little nervous about that. He wanted to establish, you know, some type of relation, make sure this thing is going to work. president said he would move in on that. And Bahrain is next. Oman could be there. Sudan could be there. And then the big one would be Saudi Arabia. And don't forget, and I know you don't, General, when Morsi took over Egypt, it really destabilized that border with Gaza, excuse me, with Israel and Egypt. And he's, of course, um, you know, he's, a, of course, a terrorist. He, he's from um, he's from that terrorist group and he ends up getting displaced but the Obama administration supported morsi and from yeah, day one so well, that really worried them too
14: yeah what well the Obama administration when the so-called Arab Spring took place in 2010 and there was violent violence and protests in the streets against Mubarak the Arab states told the White House to include Saudi Arabia to include the UAE uh, etc be careful here if you if you walk away from Mubarak don't walk away from the regime because if you change you can change leaders but if, if you walk away and you hold an election you're going to get the Muslim Brotherhood and all of Egypt will be destabilized as a result of it they did it anyway and then they pulled the following year they pulled out of Iraq in 2011 and then after Gaddafi was toppled that was a good thing on the Muslim moderate who was elected by the people asked for assistance to stabilize his militia to help it and reinforce it, not with US troops, but to train it and arm it. Because the radicals who helped take down Gaddafi, he told the White House, he's gonna they're gonna come for me. And boy did they. They toppled the regime, they killed our ambassador, they killed three other of, of us, and they forced the evacuation. Of a U.S. embassy, and now it's a failed state. This, this is what the Arabs were watching, uh, that the Obama administration was doing. So this policy change is dramatically significant in terms of its long-term mm-hmm. implications for the region. Yes, and Oman will be next. Yes, Sudan. The, the Saudi Arabia will not make this move. Uh, Until Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince, actually becomes king, because the king is fundamentally opposed to anything that's adverse to the Palestinians, and he interprets this as being adverse to them. But eventually, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia will also establish diplomatic relationships and recognize Israel.
2: Never thought it was going to happen, but we're seeing it unfold, and it's intentional. It's not by mistake. Uh, these were deliberate moves, well-received. General Jack Keen, thanks so much.
14: Yeah, good talking to Brian. Thank you. S-
2: same here. It's historic day at the White House. Please don't overlook it. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you like Trump or not. This is big. Back in a moment.
14: This is The
9: Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, one Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, Kim is listening online in Florida. Hey, Kim.
0: Hi, how are you?
2: What do you think the debates are going to be like? That's what your topic is, right?
0: Yeah, that's. I heard Biden, uh, I can't remember uh, what channel it was, it's been a, few, a couple weeks ago, and he said that he wants a fact checker on stage. It was back when he was yeah. saying that Trump said that he wasn't going to debate because he's going to stay in his basement or whatever. And he came out and said he would debate, but he wanted a fact checker. And, you know, a lot of those fact checkers, it's not real. They're, they lie just like Biden does. And so anyway, I was just wondering if that's something – that is illegal. Can they do that? And another thing that bothers me is: is he going to have it in earpiece or something, with somebody telling him the answers? Um, because I don't think he can answer off the off the cuff questions and. I just feel like they're going to try and cheat some way because there's no way you can stand up there for an hour and a half and answer questions like that. I know, there's but there's no, no
2: way. way. I know they took the shot at somebody's back on one of these uh, debates and they saw, thought they saw a backpack uh, that might have been a listening device. I think it's going to be Biden and Trump. They're going to pull it off. Chris Walsh will do a fantastic job. I'll talk to him about it in a couple of days. And I think in the end, if uh, Biden will be strong for 20 minutes, people will be saying, look how good Joe Biden is. And then the president will wear him out president's not going to be intimidated. And the other thing the president has as an advantage is instead of thinking in theory what it's like to be president after spending 50 years as a business person, he actually has three and a half years experience. And as he has said before, he's undone 90 percent of what Joe Biden and Barack Obama have done. So you're not going to really floor him by surprising him with any issues. And thanks so much, Kim. I actually think there's pressure on Trump to, to knock it out of the park uh, for Biden. If he stands strong and answers the questions, and, and if he makes Trump look like a bully, like he's picking up on an older guy could hurt could hurt Trump. But for the most part, if Trump goes and knocks him out, if he looks stronger on issues, if he makes Joe Biden run against his past and against the left and admit publicly that he is not going to destroy private insurance, he's not going to take down the wall, he's not going to get rid of oil and gas. He's going to alienate the whole left. Say, go to BrianKilmey.com, order any of my books, including the latest one, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. It's my personal war against the war on history. I'd like to see history last. So should you. Brian Me Show.
9: the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox
1: News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks
2: so much for listening everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have more on the interview with President Trump from this morning some highlights when he joins us on Fox and Friends for 45 minutes. But right now it's my privilege to bring in Congressman Ken Buck uh, a man of impact and making an impact on the issue that we have a lot of passion about. What's going on with the social unrest in all our inner cities and what role does Antifa have in it? Congressman Ken Buck welcome uh, back to the Brian Kilmeade
4: Show. Thank you Brian. Great to be with you.
2: So why are you the one who has to lead the charge into finding out who's behind Antifa and what is their role in places like Portland, Seattle, and Chicago, New York?
4: Well, I tell you, I I had the privilege of uh, prosecuting for 25 years. And so I think I look at uh, the crime a little bit differently. I think a lot of members of Congress see individual acts of crime, and and I see the organization, the money behind the crime – uh, who's funding the folks that are traveling from uh, the West Coast to the East Coast uh, to to engage in these violent acts, to commit arson, to uh, beat up people who uh, they don't agree with. And so I am uh, really interested in going after the funders as a way of trying to shut down the violence. So, you, by the
2: way, you're author of a brand new book. Um, it's uh, called Capital of Freedom, Restoring American Greatness. Uh, over in Colorado, Congressman uh, Buck, we're seeing Antifa just about everywhere. They seem organized. Some of them have radios. They seem somewhat rehearsed. We watch what they did in New York right after George Floyd was killed. We saw the bricks being dropped off, bats being dropped off. They have a plan.
4: Absolutely. And I write about it in my book and, and talk about the fact that the left can't get to their their socialist utopia uh, with our Constitution in the way and, and with our history in the way and, and with our values. And so what they have to do is they have to try to cancel our culture. They have to try to rewrite history and have, have teachers ignore history and and adopt the the terrible curriculum that was written by The New York Times and, and try to push uh, this, this just really uh, lie about America uh, out to the public.
2: So you have this group. Who are they? Who finances them from what you know right now?
4: Sure. Well, I uh, I don't know specific donors, and, and I, I won't speculate about specific donors. But it's clear to me that uh, there is a, uh, while, while it appears to be a, a loosely knit organization, there's also a leadership structure that is uh, very tightly knit and uh, is uh, well-funded. And I think that uh, if you looked at who is funding the left when it comes to uh, other activities, um, I think they're undoubtedly the same people who are funding a lot of this activity. And I think they're trying to disrupt President Trump's agenda, and I think they're doing everything they can to to scare people. Um, I think it will backfire. What I see in Colorado is that uh, voters are concerned about this and are looking for a strong, steady hand to lead the country?
2: So I see uh, Catherine Herridge, who used to work here, is reporting that she's got an uh, email uh, from Brian Murphy, written by Brian Murphy, former acting undersecretary of intelligence and analysis of the DHS, said in July that the violence. Um, That in Portland in particular has reached a level that officials can no longer state that the violence was opportunistic, but it is now organized. So if the attorney general says this, if the DHS say this, what is standing in the way of taking them apart like we did Al Qaeda, Hezbollah and Hamas that had a presence here?
4: Yeah, I think there's there's a difference between foreign terrorists and domestic terrorists. And I think what we uh, need to do, and I think what the, uh, the Department of Justice is doing, is conducting a, a grand jury investigation. I think they are... Uh, uh, doing their best to uh, gather bank records and other records to determine uh, where this funding is coming from. Really what it depends on uh, when when you deal with major drug organizations, cartels from uh, out of the country and, and other organized crime efforts like the, the Mafia, you need to uh, make sure that you have uh, state and local officials who are arresting at the local level and then using those folks at the local level to uh, gather information on the organization. The problem here is we don't have uh, officials in Portland and other areas who are cooperating with the federal government, oftentimes because of sanctuary city policies and other policies that prohibit that kind of cooperation. And so, uh, I, I think that uh, the, the Department of Justice has a, a more difficult job than it has in the past,
2: Congressman Buck. You also talk about big tech and how they are flat-out bias uh, against conservatives. And you think it's time to unite. In what way do you think you can have an effect?
4: Well, I think that uh, the reason Big Tech is so effective in stifling conservative voices is because they have a monopoly, and and they have a monopoly that isn't addressed by current antitrust laws. And so I think it's really important that we examine the laws and make sure that we're giving the regulators at the Department of Justice Antitrust Division and at the Federal Trade Commission – the tools they need to make sure that, that Google and Amazon and uh, these tech giants aren't stifling innovation in this country. We will not be a competitive country in the world marketplace if we allow innovation to be stifled.
2: Do you uh, feel as though Corey Gardner still has a shot in here in Colorado?
4: Oh, I think he has more than a shot. Corey Gardner is going to win. Anybody that's been around Corey knows that he is just a bright ray of sunshine, and and he is working all over the state. Uh, John Hickenlooper has adopted the Joe Biden stay in the uh, basement strategy, and uh, Corey's numbers are improving every day. And and I think that uh, Colorado really appreciates the great work that he has done the last six years.
2: And I guess we're going to find out, because that could tilt the Senate, the majority in the Senate. Uh, overall, And I think people are really looking at Colorado as well as looking at Tom Tillis in North Carolina. They're looking at Susan Collins over in Maine and they're hoping to flip that seat in Alabama and they want it. Then they uh, seems Republicans have some hopes uh, in Montana. Do you worry about not only because you're a Republican, but do you worry about the future of the country if they get the if the Democrats get the White House and the Senate to join the House?
4: I worry about the future of the country because I don't see Democrat leaders standing up to the radical left, uh, standing up to the folks that are committing the violent acts, standing up to the radical environmentalists who are trying to shut down our energy policy, uh, standing up to uh, the folks that want to see us uh, ship jobs overseas. And so I think it's more important than ever for uh, all folks to to agree to, to step up at this point and get involved.
2: Pick up his book, Capital of Freedom, Restoring American Greatness. Congressman Ken
9: Buck, thanks
2: Special thanks to Congressman Buck for joining us. Uh, Listen, I told you before that I had a chance to talk to President Trump alone with Steve and Ainsley on Fox and Friends earlier, and I want to bring back some of it, and I want to do it all together, if it's okay, especially if you were not up and able to watch it live. I want to begin with where the whole interview began, with him coming out of his visit to California and meeting with Governor Newsom, and they had a little bit of a conflict on global warming and the role it plays, but for the most part, they got along. So here's a little of that interview as they talk about the fires, the tragedy, the money, and what's the cause. Let's listen. Yesterday, you were out on the West Coast, you traveled the country, then you went to Arizona. But you sat there with Governor Newsom and you listened to what the problem was. And you you also, he was thankful to you for all the help you gave him and as quick as you gave it. I think it's heartening for the American people to see two people who differ on taxes and the environment and other things, but get along personally. But here's the other thing I want to ask you. In 2009, you endorsed action on climate change. You made it clear the Green New Deal is too extreme. What is the right way to act, uh, to react to climate change within reason, without destroying the economy? If you did say and did notice, even back then, there was something going on.
7: Well, look, Ryan, you have forests all over the world. You don't have fires like you do in California. You know, in Europe, they have forest cities. You look at at countries, uh, Austria, you look at so many countries, they live in the forest. They're considered forest cities, so many of them. And... They don't have fires like this, and they have more explosive trees. They have trees that will catch easier, but they maintain their fire. They 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 have an expression. They thin the fuel. The fuel is what's on the ground. The leaves, the trees that fall, they're dry. They're like uh, they're like a matchstick. You know, after 18 months, if they're underground longer than 18 months, they're very explosive, and they have to get rid of that stuff.
2: And, and I think he agreed with you. Didn't their, the government agree with their you on fires. that? Didn't the governor agree with you on that? And having he said does. that. No, he in, didn't. Originally
7: he didn't when right. I first brought it up two years be, ago. And, you guys and seemed to yesterday. On that.
2: But I just to follow up on that. If you do think, whether it's man made or not, if the climate is changing and the number one issue for people under thirty five is climate change, like it or not, and in two thousand nine you were there saying, I think something needs to be done. What is the right answer if the Green New Deal is too extreme? Well, you want to clean up your
7: plants. You want to clean up your auto pollution. You want to clean up a lot of things. Remember, we have a little problem called other countries, and they don't follow suit. Like, China sends up tremendous filth into the air and into our oceans, by the way. Uh, India, likewise. Russia, likewise. So we're doing all of this stuff. We're one piece, but you have—we're like 5 percent. And you have other countries, massive—these are massive countries that have not done— what they should be doing. And so we can clean it up. But you still have a lot of stuff because of places like China right. and frankly, Russia and also India in particular. And they send very, very dirty particulates up into the air. And uh, you talk about the carbon footprint. They do big numbers on the carbon footprint. And so we look, what I want, I want absolutely immaculate clean water. I want clean air. I want perfect clean air. And by the way, we have it. We have really good clean air. We have good clean water, uh, better than we had before. We have better than we had before. You know, in carbon, we have less carbon now going up into the air than they had under the, the Obama administration. We do things a different way, but we're doing a mm-hmm. great job and we're not putting our businesses right. out of business. You know, a lot of the things they want to do would put our businesses right out of business. We wouldn't be any we wouldn't right. be competitive as a country anymore. And there are people that don't care about that. They say that's okay. Put everybody out of business. They really don't care. The Green New Deal is 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 a farce. The Green New Deal would really cost a hundred trillion dollars. That's more money than we could make in a hundred years. It's ridiculous. And it would put us our factories would be closed. Our businesses would be closed. It's ridiculous. You know okay. that. Well,
11: uh, Mr. President, whenever there is something in the news, uh, Joe Biden does emerge from his compound to uh, make a statement. He was in Wilmington. Barely. He was in Wilmington, Delaware, yesterday, uh, super socially distant. always distanced. in
7: Wilmington, Delaware. Well,
11: that's, that's absolutely pretty accurate. Uh, he's out kind of in an open field. Everybody's like, 20 feet apart, very socially distanced. Uh, he had some harsh words for you, called you a, a, a climate arsonist and said this as well. Watch.
3: This is another crisis, another crisis he won't take responsibility for. If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America ablaze? If you give a climate denier four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised when more of America is underwater? Hurricanes don't swerve to avoid red states or blue states. Wildfires don't skip towns that voted a certain way. The impacts of climate change don't pick and choose.
11: And you have commented on climate change, Mr. President, but, you know, just the optics of him finally leaving his house to go out and make a public statement. In the last week, I, I, I haven't counted your events, but its it's been a lot. Joe Biden has only done a couple. Uh, and I have heard some Democrats criticize Biden and the campaign and saying, it looks like Trump is outworking us. IS THAT YOUR STRATEGY RIGHT NOW, Uh, YOU KNOW, AT THIS STAGE OF THE GAME, BEFORE THE DEBATES, TO JUST GET OUT THERE, GET EVERYWHERE WHILE JOE BIDEN PICKS AND CHOOSES?
7: WELL, TODAY WE'RE DOING THE BIG EVENT IN A LITTLE WHILE WITH ISRAEL, AND THAT WAS SOMETHING THAT WAS REALLY SPECIAL. BUT YOU LOOK AT BIDEN, HE'S READING NOTES AND HE'S READING uh, TELEPROMPTERS ALL THE TIME, AND HE DOESN'T READ THEM WELL. And during interviews, he's doing an interview, and he's reading a... I, I saw it two, three weeks ago. I said, I think he's reading a teleprompter. They're asking him a question, and I watched. And then when his guy gets asked about that, he you know makes a fool out of himself and he can't answer the question because he knows it's true. It was a, it, it was a yes or no like
11: question. It would have been easy to answer.
7: No, I, I've never seen anything like it. Nobody has. The man is shot. Let's face it, we can't have a man who's shot because, you know, he's not shot... Putin, President Xi, Kim Jong-un, they're not shot. They're world-class chess players. This guy is shot. Everyone knows it. And, you know, we can't lead an economy. Look at our economy. We have a record stock market. Another good day today. We have a record stock market. We have a record everything. We're, We're back to where we were, the 401Ks, they'll crash with this guy. I mean, he wants to raise interest rates. He wants to raise them very high, $4 trillion worth of interest rates, because you'll lose every business, you'll close down every business, you'll lose your jobs. People are gonna be paying so much in in taxes. He wants to raise taxes. He wants to see higher interest rates, higher. He wants to see taxes where he's gonna, he wants $4 trillion in tax increases. And you can't do that, uh, Steve and Brian and Ainsley. You can't do that. You'll destroy this thing. We're going we're gonna to have a great new year. Now, we're going to have a big number come out. That's third quarter. It's going to be a very, very extraordinary number. It's going to be a record-setter in all respects. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and that would be very bad that I'm saying this, but, but I know that's what I do. You're going to have an incredible number coming out just before the election, literally two days before the election. And I'd rest my hat on that. Watch what happens. Watch how good it's going to be. And next year we're going to have a great year. But if somebody comes in and raises taxes and lets interest rates go up to a much higher level, that would be a disaster for this country. You know, we also borrow money. This was very bad because it took three trillion, maybe four trillion, to settle the problem. Where we have, you know, where we're, and I do believe we are rounding the turn. Including without the vaccine, I think we're rounding the turn. With the vaccine, it's going to be great. But to get this, this horrible curse off our back, we had to spend trillions of dollars, and we've kept it going really well. And we could use additional stimulus, but Nancy Pelosi won't approve it, because she thinks it's bad for me in the election. Well, I think we're doing very well. I think it's bad for her not to approve it, because everyone knows she's the one not approving it. But uh, Joe isn't equipped to be president. He's, he's shot.
13: So we have uh, less than two months until the election, and a lot of people are really excited to watch what's going to happen in two weeks. And that is the first debate. It is actually two weeks from today. It's in two Tuesdays. How do you prepare for the debates? Have you started your preparation? Do you just memorize what his voting record is? Or do you do these mock debates and get people on your staff to stand behind the podium and act like they're Joe Biden? What do you do?
7: Well, I sort of prepare every day by just doing what I'm doing. I was in California yesterday. I went to Arizona, which is doing great, by the way. The state is is booming and uh, done a really good job with the virus, too. You know, it's down to it's down to very low. Uh, Excellent governor, uh, excellent in Texas. I've been to Texas over the last few days. I've been to uh, uh, Louisiana. Florida. I mean, it, I mean, I've been all over the place, and I watch this guy sitting home, and I say, maybe I'm doing it wrong. You know what? Maybe I'm doing it wrong but uh he's got you know the he's got the press on his side I, why i have no idea somebody's gonna have to explain that you have a stock market crash if he got in i tell you what we have a headwind as good as our stock market is and, and that's good for people because they own the stocks i mean everybody owns the stocks but uh, as good as it said we have a headwind and the headwind right. is if he ever got in the market will crash and that's a headwind the market would even be higher but, but we're setting new records in the stock market which is good for everybody people are happy uh, we got this plague sent to us by China, courtesy of China, which is a disgrace because they could have stopped it. And they stopped it from going into China, but they didn't stop it to Europe and to us and to the rest of the world. And they should be ashamed of
2: So that was uh, President Trump, but you're not done with him yet. Uh, the president talks about his biggest challenges, getting ready for the debate. What's straight ahead? And man, was he pumped up, including a question from John Roberts uh, that he text messaged Steve towards the end. So we have a lot to discuss with the President of the United States, and he's making himself accessible. But, man, does he have a lot on his plate. He's got natural disasters and everything else, as well as a campaign and a lot of challenges ahead. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. No reason to move.
9: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: show that's real this is the Brian Kilmeade show
2: hey welcome back you know I I told you we interviewed the president earlier I want to bring up the part that's going to be coming straight ahead in a couple of weeks and that is the debates Uh, we want to get into how you prepare for Hillary as opposed to prepare for Biden and what he said about Joe Biden really took me by surprise. I don't know if it's unfounded or not. As far as I could tell, it wasn't. It's about Joe Biden and what he did when he was one-on-one with Bernie Sanders uh, and what he didn't do, how he was so much better one-on-one than he was on all the other debates. So let's listen to our interview with President Trump on Fox & Friends today. On the debate, you, you have the experience of working with Chris Wallace as moderator. You just did an hour with him on Fox News Sunday. And you have the experience of, of, of competing for the presidency against Hillary Clinton. Right. FIRST, SET THE SCENE, YOU KNOW THE STYLE OF CHRIS WALLACE, AND NOW YOU'RE ABLE TO STUDY WHAT JOE BIDEN'S BEEN DOING FOR 47 YEARS. WHAT'S GOING TO BE THE GREATEST CHALLENGE HERE?
7: WELL, I DON'T KNOW WHICH BIDEN IS GOING TO SHOW UP, BECAUSE I WATCHED HIM during THE DEBATES WHERE THEY HAD 20 PEOPLE ON THE STAGE, AND, uh, YOU KNOW, where they, BEFORE THEY STARTED uh, CULLING IT OUT. AND I WATCHED HIM, AND, and HE WAS A DISASTER. Uh, YOU DON'T GET WORSE. HE WAS grossly incompetent. Then I watched him against Bernie, and he was OK. He wasn't Winston Churchill, I can tell you that, but he was OK. He was fine. He was—I I said it was like an even debate, and so I said, what did he do? So, I mean, what, what happened to him all of a sudden? Because he was OK, and, and Bernie was OK. It was, a you know, an extraordinarily boring debate, but he got through it, and I said, what's the difference between now and some of those classic moments in the other debates and something something was strange in my opinion i won't say what but a lot of people think that something happens and you can't do that kind of stuff you just can't do well, that well mr kind president of stuff.
11: you have suggested uh, that joe biden should take a drug test
7: i do i i would take one too yeah i would i you would think, say he you think take he's a taking some
11: sort of drugs to pep
7: him up I do. He's taking something. He's taking something, or you know, or it gives him some clarity, or whatever. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Him. Yeah. Take a look at him. Yeah, maybe he had a lot of coffee. Maybe he had uh, fifteen cups of coffee. I'll tell you what. I've seen him in the debate with the other people, including Kamala, and nobody treated him worse than Kamala. He picked Kamala, and nobody treated him worse. Called him a racist. Called him everything you can be called. Then he says, "I'm going to pick Kamala." And Kamala has her own problems. I mean, she went from 15 down to nothing. She dropped out before they got to Iowa. So she, uh, she, I, I think she's not a good choice. I think she's a, compared to Mike Pence, who's been a great vice president, he's been a great vice president. And you guys know that very well. But, um, no, I I don't know, it's very strange. I think, yeah, I think you should take a drug
13: test. So... Well- uh, let's talk about the Joe Rogan, who's he probably has the the biggest podcast uh, in the country, and Tim Kennedy, who's on our show a lot, Army Ranger. He was a guest on the show, and they were talking about another debate, adding another debate, and he tweets this out. Tim does on my podcast with Joe Rogan. He offered to moderate a debate between Joe Biden and the real Donald Trump. It would be four hours with no live audience, just the two candidates, cameras, and their <laughs> vision of how to move this country forward. And then he asks, who wants this? Hashtag debates, hashtag election 2020. Then you responded, I do. So you've accepted that. Uh, Joe Biden, no word on on whether or not he would be interested in doing that Joe Rogan debate.
7: Joe is lost. Joe is lost. We can't have a president that's mentally lost, you know. You mean Joe Biden? I thought you meant Joe Rogan at first. Joe Biden. (laughs) I can take—I'm talking about Joe Biden, yeah. Uh, I can take the gloves off, because they put an ad on in the military, where I'm standing over a grave, and they made up a sentence that I said, and I never said it. And I have 25 people that were there that said—he never said that. They made it up. And then they put they made it—you know, this phony Atlantic magazine, which is a, a radical left Obama friend magazine. And they made up this horrible quote. And nobody's been better to the military than me. I've rebuilt the military. They're the greatest people. They had me saying a horrible thing over a grave, a grave that's been there for many, many years. And I was with other people. And they know it's a phony story, and yet they've made it. They know it's a total phony story. It's called uh, right. disinformation. You make up a lie. They make up lies. They made up another one about Social Security, that I'm against Social Security. And I'm the one that saved it. They used to do the same thing the last time. They said, I'm going to destroy Social Security. I kept it. Right. I haven't touched it. And But it they made mis- it up the last time. So they'll make up a lie and go with it. So these are vicious people. So it gives me the right to take the gloves off and hit Joe, because Joe's easy to hit. But, uh yeah I would do it I would do that you know with Joe Rogan I like Joe Rogan I would do it with Joe Rogan but I think uh, sleepy Joe won't but I right. would so, certainly do
2: it mr president let's go back to the military for a second uh you know general mattis evidently has been critical of you uh in uh, as a as a leader in the Bob Woodward book which you said is boring But is it true you've taken strong actions against al Baghdadi, you've taken against Soleimani, and is it true that after Assad gassed children for the second time, that it was you that wanted to take out Assad, that you had a good sight on him, and that it was General Mattis who talked you out of it? And if it is true, do you regret not taking him out, being that he's not, because he is a mass murderer?
7: Uh, I would have uh, rather taken him out. I had it all set. Mattis didn't want to do it. Mattis was a highly overrated general. And I let him go. He worked for Obama. He got fired by Obama also. And I thought that was uh, maybe just a fluke. Maybe they had different views. And he wanted the job very badly. I gave him the job. I didn't like him. I fired him. And uh, he was a terrible—to me, he was a terrible general. He was a bad leader. And he he didn't—he wasn't doing the job with ISIS uh, he was not doing the job in Syria or Iraq with respect to ISIS. I got rid of ISIS after he was gone. I, got, I did a great job on ISIS, 100 percent of the caliphate, got rid of him, took out Soleimani, as you know, took out al-Baghdadi. These are the two biggest terrorists. Uh, Al-Baghdadi founded ISIS. He was trying to build it again after I wiped it out. And I said, we have to fire him. He killed many, many people. And Soleimani, likewise. Soleimani was the biggest of them so all. So do you
2: regret not taking out Assad? And do you, was it because of Russia being allied with him is why you didn't do it? And do you regret not doing it?
7: No, I don't regret that. I could have lived either way with that. That You know, I, I considered him certainly not a good person, but uh, I had a shot to take him out if I wanted, and Mattis was against it. Mattis was against most of that stuff. He'd keep you in military, but he didn't know how to win. He would keep you in military, but he had no concept as to win. We've had tremendous progress since then. If you look at what we've done with terrorists and many other terrorists also, by the way, that you don't know, but with terrorists, with all—and with, by the way, rebuilding the military, we have completely rebuilt the military, $2.5 trillion, all made in the USA. Our soldiers are now taken care of. Uh, our vet, you look at what we 've done at the VA, our vets are so thrilled they gave a ninety one percent approval rating the other day ninety one percent it 's never been anywhere close to that high. Right. We got all sorts of things approved and including accountability and including choice. Obama had something approved it was so pathetic right. it didn 't work a, a weak form of choice we had a we had a, a very powerful form of choice and our military has been great. They love me, and I love them. But Mattis was not a good leader. He didn't know how to lead. He didn't not. He didn't no. have a concept. Mr. He, President, I know you guys didn't gel, but he is yeah. a great
2: American, and he did give a lot to the country. You know that. But you guys did well, in him jail. I know him differently. Yeah. See, I
7: know him as a person, and I don't – I just didn't think he did a good job. I mean, I don't say he's a good American or a bad American. I just say he didn't do a good job. I let him go. Okay. I told him, give me a letter. And, you know, I got to find somebody else. And when we've uh, when we put together a team, that's when it happened. And we wiped out 100 percent of the ISIS caliphate and he wasn't doing his job.
11: Okay, Uh, Mr. President, um, you mentioned Soleimani a couple of times. You did take him out. Uh, And on Twitter, you went on Twitter and you said, according to press reports, Iran may be planning an assassination or other attack against the United States in retaliation for killing terrorist leader Soleimani. There are reports of uh, a plot, or perhaps plots to assassinate a U.S. ambassador, or more than that. Can you, you know, I I know you know things uh, that you don't want to talk about because they are classified, they're big secrets. Uh, But you, clearly, uh, the news about the potential assassination of a U.S. ambassador is out there. What else can you tell us about this plot?
7: Well, let me tell you. Before the plot, Iran is doing unbelievably badly. When I was uh, when I first came into office, they were there were 18 sites of confliction. They were in charge of all of them. They had 150 billion dollars that was stupidly given by. Obama. I'll say Obama as opposed to Biden, because he probably—who knows if he had anything to do. Nobody's made worse decisions than Joe Biden, especially with foreign affairs. So they were—they were literally uh, a power. Now they're not a power. That doesn't mean they can't do little things, but that now they're not a power. They have no money. Their GDPs dropped 27 percent—27 percent in a short period of time. And if I win, they'll be unhappy. But they'll make a deal in the first month, and they'll make a very good deal for us in the first month. Obama made a horrible deal. Israel would have been gone. Israel would have been wiped off the face of the Earth. Obama made a terrible deal. I say Obama-Biden, but let's say Obama. He made a terrible deal, gave him $150 billion, gave him $1.8 billion mm-hmm. in cash, brought over by plane loads of cash, $1.8. And it was a short-term deal. It was just a short-term deal. It wasn't even a deal. And we can never let them have a nuclear weapon, because they're crazy. And the plot? We can never let them— Mr. President, never the plot? We can never let them have—as far as the plot, I said it. You didn't read the rest of the uh, social media statement, but I said it. I said it very strongly. They'll pay a 1,000 times if they do anything to anybody. And I might be in that category, but they'll be in that category, too. And uh, we're all set. And if they do anything to anybody, they'll be hit a 1,000 times harder than they hit us.
13: So, Mr. President, let's talk about, you've mentioned it a few times, but um, we'd love to know more about this. The signing ceremony at the White House today, uh, what an historic moment, bringing three of the largest religions in the world together for a peace deal, um, the Abraham Accord, named after the patriarch of all three of the the biggest religions, Judaism, uh, Islam, and and Christianity. And I know hundreds of people are going to be there. We've interviewed some people that are going to be there to watch this uh, historic moment. And then you also said, this is just the beginning, there will be future deals. What do you mean by that?
7: Well, we have a lot of countries that want to come in. So for years and years, these clowns that like to criticize me, well, we disagree, we disagree. Well, they never got anything. They never got anything done. They've been fighting for peace in the Middle East. And when I came in, I was told it was an impossible thing. You could never get it done. And we went around the other way. Instead of dealing with the Palestinians, we took the money away. We used to give them $750 million and they treat us badly. I said, why do they treat us badly? We give them all this money. Nobody ever did this. I took it away. Uh, They're going to make a deal. You watch. But we started dealing with other people, and everyone said this couldn't happen. And we made a deal with UAE, led by a man, Mohammed, who's a great leader, a great warrior. And we made a deal with UAE, then Bahrain uh, came in, and we have many others going to be coming in over a short period of time. And uh, the Palestinians will ultimately come in, too. And you're going to have peace in the Middle East without being stupid and shooting everybody and killing everybody and having blood all over the sand. So you'll have peace. And we're getting tremendous. I must tell you, Tom Friedman wrote a great piece in The New York Times, beyond a great piece. It was a 12 on a scale of 10. Uh, New York Times, of all of all, I mean, I must tell you, I respected them for doing it, because I didn't think they had it in their in their genes to be able to write good about me. But they said it's an unbelievable deal and a very important deal. So we have two countries. We have many others that we're negotiating with right now. AND THE PALESTINIANS WILL BE BROUGHT IN BECAUSE ALL OF THEIR SUPPORTERS, ALL OF THE PEOPLE THAT GIVE THEM LOTS OF MONEY ARE COMING INTO THE DEAL. SO OTHERWISE THEY'LL BE LEFT OUT IN THE COLD.
2: NOW, MR. PRESIDENT, THE REASON why. Is because there is no flip side to this. What you did is re-establish relations with Israel, unlike the previous administration, where they seem right. fractured. And then you broke off relations with Iran, who are a terrorist nation. And then the other nation said, I see Iran as a threat too, and Israel is not a threat. And after they right. built some quiet trust, you asked them to come forward and they have. That's right. There's no flip side to this, and that's why the New York Times doesn't deny it. Now, are we at the point where you're willing to sell the same weapons to these other countries that you sell to Israel? Well, they're very
7: wealthy countries for the most part. I mean these some are extraordinarily like UAE and they would like to buy some fighter jets and I personally would have no problem with it. Some people do, they say, Well, they you know, maybe they have they go to war. Uh, we have, uh, you know, selling our stuff is good for our country in one way. Uh, Israel you gets You know what upset. I've learned about military yeah. equipment? You sell it today and it's obsolete tomorrow. All of a sudden you'll say, well, we have a new plane, a new and better plane. No, I would have, I know the leader very well, Mohammed. I would have no problem in selling them the F-35. I would have absolutely no problem. I view it as an asset, not a liability. Plus, it's tremendous jobs at home. You're talking about... A large number of planes, you know, reasonably large number of planes. Not the biggest. We're buying them by the hundreds. I mean, you know, it's uh, we're, we've stocked up our our arsenal like nobody thought it was possible. When I took over, we our military was so so depleted. It was it was an embarrassment. We had 40 year old planes. We had 50 year old planes. You know the story. The grandfather flew it. The son flew it. And the grandson flew it. The same exact plane. No, we have, we have a, a military now. They didn't spend money on the military. Right. They gave up their money. They, they spent it on everything but the military. Obama doesn't like the military. And I can tell you, Biden doesn't like it. They fight me every time. It's the hardest thing. To get things approved for the military, they want all sorts of other things approved, which right. does our country, for the most part, no good.
11: Mr. President, uh, John Roberts, uh, who stands on your front lawn every day, Uh, He's he's got our phone number just like you do. uh, And he just texted, can you ask the president if his (laughs) Middle East strategy is to cut deals with Arab countries to put pressure on the Palestinians to come to the table? In other words, surround the Palestinians with peace deals so they are the only ones not doing it. If John Roberts was sitting right here, he would have asked you that
7: well he's very good john he's done a great job and he's he's got what it takes and uh yes you could say that's certainly a piece of it uh, the ultimate piece is uh, it's good for us to have it it's good for israel but certainly that's a piece of it the palestinians are very difficult to deal with and uh, we paid them a tremendous amount of money for many decades we paid them money it was almost like uh hostage type money it was bribe money and it was foolish And I took it away. I stepped a year and a half ago. I said, why are we paying when they say terrible things about us? Death to America, all these things, they said. And then we pay them $750 million. Yes, a lot of money. We pay them all this money, and they speak badly about us. I said, I'm going to end the money. Let them know we're not going to pay it anymore. We didn't pay it anymore. Uh, But other countries would pay. Other very rich countries would pay. But we don't pay it anymore. Let me tell you. When we start getting the rest of the countries in, they will come to the table 100%. They're actually getting to a point where they're going to want to make a deal. They won't say that outwardly. Uh, They want to make a deal.
2: So I hope you enjoyed more of Donald Trump. He was able to join us and hopefully he'll join us regularly. And hopefully he'll be on this show shortly because he did say he enjoyed his last appearance. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to come back to wrap things up and give you some information on something kind of funny. has a lot to do with the COVID-19. the something that we can't shake, but the numbers at least are going in the right direction. you will listen to Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Washington, D.C. back in a moment.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Listen, the more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade.
11: Yo, what up, Dougs Paul Rudd here, actor and certified young person. A few days ago, I was talking on the iPhone with my homie, Governor Cuomo, and he's just going off about how us millennials need to wear masks, because get this, apparently a lot of COVID is transmitted by us millennials. So Cuomo's asked me, he's like, Paul, you gotta help. What are you, like, 26? And I didn't correct him. Yes, queens like ourselves—we want to go to bars, we want to drink, hook up, do our TikToks. I get it. I'm not gonna preach at you like some celebrity. Ugh. Yo, listen, hype beasts. Masks protect you and your dank squad because caring about other people is the new not caring about other people.
2: That is Paul Rudd helping out Governor Cuomo trying to get people to wear a mask.
13: Come on, you found it a little funny.
2: Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was okay, uh, but I guess that's the mission. But the other big story that we had, football. Ratings are big, but they're off 26%. Actually, 28% on Sunday, 21%, 23% overall. But losing it in the demo, I think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I think it has a lot to do with this demonstration all the sideline and all the kneeling and all the anthems.